Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website www.RestoredTemecula.Church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoyed the message. I love you guys. It is very, very good to be with you. Bravo on the bake sale. Man, I don't know about you, but like, uh, band this morning, band in tech, I just wanted to keep going. I was like, oh, that was so good for my soul. I needed that. Thank you, thank you, band, for always like serving us and for blessing us. Um, and not just the band this morning, but so many gifted musicians in the church that like serve us. And uh, it's, it really is such a, such a treat. It was, this morning was special for me. Thank you. Um, I'm going to, for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of dive in this morning. Okay, so grab your Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing our series, The King and His Kingdom, where we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been exploring uh, all things related to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that it's not just a place you go to after, you're, after you die, but it's the rule and the reign of Jesus. It's, it's, it's God's way, okay? It's his kingdom. He, he calls the shots, right? And we're in the middle of a section of Matthew known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest sermon that's ever been preached by the greatest preacher ever, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And we're in a portion of the Sermon on the Mount in what's known as the six antitheses. If you were here early this morning, you heard Mark reference it. And what these six antitheses are is it's Jesus basically correcting misguided interpretations of Old Testament teachings. So he goes, you've heard it said this, but I tell you that. So he's bringing some correction here. He's addressing misguided interpretations, okay? Today's passage is the final of these six corrections, okay? And hear me, today's passage, it's arguably the most revolutionary, radical teaching in the history of the world. That might sound like hyperbole, it's not. You'll see when we get there. Uh, So without further ado, for the sake of time, there's a lot today, and I want to I want to make sure we get all that God has for us. I'm going to pray before I jump into the scriptures. Will you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your unwavering love. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. Jesus, thank you for your kindness and your patience. God, I pray that you would um, help us this morning. I pray that you would minimize distractions in our minds and around us and that we'd really be able to see you and hear you, that you'd point us to Jesus, that you'd make us more aware of how amazing your rule and reign is, your kingdom Would you teach us, Holy Spirit? We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter five. We're gonna go through verses 43 through 48. Now again, this passage is not gonna be um, new for most of you. You've heard this before. The most revolutionary teaching in the history of the world says this. Jesus in verse 43 says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And here it comes. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, What are you doing out of the ordinary? 
Don't even the Gentiles, the Gentiles are the non-Jews, don't they do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, so I want to point out a few things in this passage, most of which are fairly obvious, but if we dig a little bit deeper, there's some gold here for each of us. Okay, the first thing that I want to talk about is Jesus' call here to love our enemies. Um, Now, if we're going to do that, we have to understand what an enemy actually is. Okay, let's talk about this. What is an enemy? Now, uh, you know this, the, the, the New Testament was written originally in Greek and then translated, in our case, into English. Now, if you, if you do a deep dive into the Greek there for that word enemy, it indicates hostility and opposition. So anybody who's hostile to you or opposes you, they would be an enemy, right? And what Jesus does here is he ties enemies to those who persecute you. Now, what comes to your mind when you think of persecution? Whatever it is, I want you to kind of keep that picture in your mind. Now, again, the Greek here is so helpful in this passage. Now, persecution in the Greek, it means this. It means to cause to suffer, whether physically or emotionally. I think every single one of us in the room knows exactly what it's like to suffer physically and to suffer emotionally. It's when we suffer physically and or emotionally at the hands of another person. Now, here's the thing. Maybe your mind's already drifting into who you would define as an enemy in your life, but the truth of the matter is that it's often the people closest to us that can take on the form of an enemy. Um, For many of you in the room, some of the most painful experiences of of your life, the the most intense suffering that you've experienced have come at the hands, but whether it's emotionally or or physically, have come at the hands of your family of origin. People, the closest to you, doing the most damage. People opposing, hostile to you, causing suffering, whether physically or emotionally. Guys, one of the really unique things about our church is there's... Man, there's a significant amount of us that have experienced legitimate sufferings at the hands of the church. And I want to be really sensitive here, but that's so many of our stories where where the people of God have taken on the form of an enemy because of the ways that you've experienced suffering at the hands of their sin or their brokenness, etc., etc., Um, I'm going to share this with you anyway. I think um, if I'm honest, I'm going to be vulnerable with you for just a moment. I know that this is being recorded, which makes it awkward, but um, I think some of the most significant wounds that I've experienced in my life have been at the hands of the church. And so I don't say that to like draw attention to myself. I said that as like, I think that there's something that God is doing in, in a, assembling the people that he has here that are restored to Mecula, a work of redemption, a work of renewing, a work of healing. And so I want to acknowledge this because this is part of our story. It might not be part of every single one of our stories, but because we're a family, that makes it a part of our story. And it can be jarring to think, man, like the church functioning like an enemy. Listen, the church is made up of broken people who need the blood of Jesus. In the same way that I've experienced church hurt and some of you have experienced church hurt with other Christians taking on the form of an enemy, like, good gracious, I know that I've inflicted pain on other people too because I'm part of the church just as much as they are. So I want to acknowledge that because it's part of our story and it can be jarring, but even more jarring is that sometimes we can live as enemies to ourselves. Again, an, an enemy, biblically speaking, is anyone who is hostile towards you or who opposes you and thus causes you to emotionally and or physically suffer. That's an enemy. So just to kind of get your brain working and then not have this be this distant 
you know, just the scriptures are out here and we talk about them, but actually like bring them into our world. I want to ask you a question. Are you currently living with any enemies right now? Is there anybody that you can identify in your life who's being hostile towards you or opposing you in some way? Anybody who's causing you to emotionally and or physically suffer? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone in the church. Maybe it's an old friend who used to be a friend, but man, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's even yourself. Jesus is saying, those people who cause you to suffer, love them. Okay, well, what what does that mean? Let's talk about it. Um, If you've spent any time in the church, you've probably heard the teaching, again, using Greek, we're gonna do a lot of teaching stuff today, but that, that the word love in the English is translated from various Greek words. So one of the cool, beautiful things about the Greek language is that there's, it's, there's more like beauty and depth to it than there is in English. So as they would have multiple words for various types of love, it would get translated to love. And so we lack some of the depth in English. And maybe you've heard the teaching that there are multiple Greek words for love. Um, and maybe you've heard that there are three Greek words for love. There's actually four. I'm gonna go through these really, really quickly. Okay, this will be a review for some of you. But there's four Greek words um, that are translated love into English, and they're, they're very different. The first one is the one that you, you hear the least about, and it's the Greek word storge. And what storge is, is it's basically familial love. So think like the love between a parent and their child, or a child and their parent. That's the first one. The second one, the second Greek word that's translated love is the word eros. And it's basically like love between the sexes. So there's a passionate element here. There's a a sexuality element here. It's where you get the word erotic. Now the third one, the third Greek word for love is the word philia. Uh, And there's various, there's different variations. So maybe you've heard phileo or those kinds of things. All kind of the same, uh, from the same root word. And what that word means is it means love and affection uh, that strong friends feel for each other. Uh, It's often been said that's like a deep brotherly or sisterly love that that transcends even biology. And then the fourth one is the one that that, that typically gets the most praise, which is this wonderful, it's a unique type of love that's called agape. Agape. And what agape means is it means unconquerable benevolence and invincible goodwill towards another. Think about that for a second. Unconquerable benevolence and invincible goodwill towards another. Uh, one, theologi- one theologian that's been really helpful for me over the years is a man by the name of William Barclay. He says this, quote, if we regard people with agape, It means that no matter what they do to us, no matter how they treat us, no matter if they insult us or injure us or grieve us, listen to this, we will never allow any bitterness against them to invade our hearts, but we'll regard them with that unconquerable benevolence and goodwill, which will seek nothing but their highest good. In this passage... Jesus does not say, storge, your enemies. He doesn't say, eros, your enemies. He doesn't say, phileia, your enemies. He says, agape, your enemies. Now, there's some implications here that I think are really helpful for us to talk about. And the first one is this. If Jesus says, agape, your enemies, he's not referencing the other types of love. He's not calling us to love enemies the same way we love like our nearest and dearest people in our lives. Because agape is a different kind of love. He's not saying love your enemy like you love your child. Love your enemy like you love your spouse. You see, here's the thing. Those first three types of loves, those other types of loves, they're loves of the heart. Like they're, they're loves that you can't help it. Like the prophet Elvis Presley once said, I can't help 
falling in love with you. Like, there's a love in our... Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, bro. Nobody else. You got me. Uh, But hear me. I know that's silly, but like there's a reality that you you felt this, where it's like there's a love that comes out of your heart that you just can't help it, even if they drive you crazy. The love and affection for a child from the heart, a lover, a, a true friend, it's the love that you can't help but feel inside of you, right? Hear me. Agape love is different than that. Agape love is different because not only does it involve the heart, but it involves the will. Like it requires an ongoing choice. Again, William Barclay says this, quote, agape does not mean a feeling of the heart, which we cannot help, and which comes unbidden and unsought. It means a determination of the mind whereby we achieve this unconquerable goodwill even to those who hurt and injure us. Agape is the power to love those whom we do not like and who may not like us, end quote. Man, agape love sounds so like cool on the surface and then you think about it, you're like, oh, this is different. Agape love is different because it requires your will not just your heart. It requires your choices, not just your feelings. So, this begs the question. If anything like me is I'm going down this rabbit trail of the Greek, I'm like, okay, then what does it mean to have unconquerable benevolence and an invincible goodwill towards an enemy, towards someone who is causing either your emotional and or physical suffering? When I was growing up, I don't have the most perfect parents in the world, but they did a really good job. Uh, and I want to tell you a story of, of, of a, of a I, I would say, like a, a really formative moment in my childhood. Um, I want to say I was like sixth grade or so. And at, my, at the time, my, my closest friend was, was having this, this party. And, um, and it was like really, I mean, it was like I was looking forward to it for weeks. Okay, there was all this playing that went involved. There was like, there was money that was spent. It was like a kind of a big deal. In my sixth grade mind, it was like the pinnacle. It's like, this is it. This is gonna be so great. It's gonna be so fun. It's gonna be so awesome. And so the day of the party, kind of like a few hours before the party, um, we're just at the house as a family and the whole thing. and, um, And I was just kind of being a turd. I was... Uh, Mark and I are like four and a half years apart. And so when we were younger, you can imagine there was, there was some, uh, some of this going on, <clears throat> mostly my fault, to be honest. And obviously, I mean, the, the older we got, the closer we are. We, we, we genuinely get along great. But growing up, it wasn't always the case. And I was, kind of, I was just being a jerk to him. And not only was I being a jerk to him, but I'm like disrespecting my parents. I think I even like kind of lied to them a bit. And it was just like, I was not in a good place. And I, and I remember my, my folks talking to me and kind of being like, like reprimanding me, like appropriately, like, hey, this is not okay. Like the way you're behaving is not okay. And, and I was resisting them. I was in opposition to them. I was being kind of hostile to them. And, uh, and I remember getting frustrated because I, like, you know how it goes with a sibling. It's like, if I can look back objectively and go, that was 90% my fault because I was being a jerk. But he was the little brother kind of antagonizing me that extra 10%, which caused me to then justify that I could be a jerk to him. It was like this, this cycle, okay? So I'm in that spot and I'm kind of like upset that they're siding with Mark. And so I'm huffy and puffy. I'm angry. I'm arrogant. I'm prideful. I kind of storm up the stairs and on my way up the stairs, I see Mark has this like, uh, Mark's a really gifted artist. He's a super creative guy. He always was. He had this like little kind of like desktop drawing station with like pencils and crayons and like, you can kind of imagine it, right? On the stairs, because like what we would do is we would leave stuff on the stairs as we were going to put them away to go upstairs, whatever. But all that being said, it's there. I'm going up, I'm, I'm out of here, I'm going up to my room, you know, like, and, and I'm going up the stairs and I see this thing on the way and I just go... Boom! And I kick it. 
and I break it. And I remember, I remember my folks being like, no. I, don't, I didn't go upstairs, they brought me downstairs. And they had a conversation with me. And the conversation was something to the effect of, you're not going to this party. Mom and dad, you don't understand. Like, we've planned this. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. I know. You guys have spent money to like present all the things. We know. You're not, you're not going to the party. And it kills us. It kills us that you're not going to the party, but we, we cannot allow you to go to this party. Friends, please understand, agape love is different. Agape love is a stubborn commitment to the well-being of another person, even if that person lives in opposition to you. I was opposing my parents. They're the authority of the household. They set the rules. They establish the boundaries, the values, all those things. I'm resisting against those. I'm rebelling against those. So I'm clearly in opposition to them. I'm clearly in opposition and hostile to my brother. I was hostile to most of my family. I was acting in opposition to them. But here's the thing. Because of my parents, because of their agape for me, they couldn't let me go to the party. Why? Because doing so would only reinforce behavior that was harmful to me and harmful to other people. Listen, when they talked to me, they didn't shame me. Were they angry? Absolutely. They didn't shame me. They explained to me. And I remember, okay, I'm like a sixth grade boy. And I remember being so emotionally worked up and angry and feeling like betrayed and like my parents are evil. I just start like, I start crying. No, you, you can't not let me go. I have to go to this party. I've been waiting for so long for this. And I could see the look on their faces. It wasn't pleasant for them. It wasn't an act of retaliation. It wasn't an act of revenge. It grieved them as much or more as it was grieving me. I could see it in them. So angry. And I didn't get it at the time. I remember walking away from that conversation being like, parents just don't get it. All they want to do is ruin my life. Can I tell you something? Hey, uh, youth in the room, listen to me very carefully. There are going to be times in your life when your parents make decisions that you do not understand and you do not agree with, and it's done with agape love. That was the case for me. Sixth grade Tom. I didn't get it at the time. Hear me, I get it now. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that my parents had agape love for me in that moment. Because it could, it could have been like, man, like this is a big deal. We should just let it slide. We've spent the money. We've done the thing. Like just let's let him go. And you know what it would have done? It would have reinforced damaging, sinful habits in my life that wouldn't have been good for me and wouldn't have been good for the people that God's created me to love and serve. I'm so thankful they cared enough about me. They cared more about my holiness than they did my happiness. They cared more about my holiness than they did my happiness. And I didn't get it as a sixth grade boy. And I get it now and I'm grateful. Friends, sometimes agape love will mean necessary punishment. It will need necessary like restraint. It will mean necessary discipline. Sometimes it even means protecting people from themselves. Because sometimes we live as our own enemy. But hear me. Agape love is never carried out to satisfy a desire for revenge or, or retaliation. Because agape love is a desire. It's, it's birthed as a desire. It's a desire for the person's highest good. It's different than the other loves. Hear me. Agape love must happen in the heart before it can happen in the hands. You know what that means? 
that means it's one of those loves that's almost, it's, I would say it's impossible to fake. You can't. So Jesus says, this is the kind of love we're to have, not just for our friends, not just for our family, not just for the church or our neighbors. This is the kind of love we ought to have even for our enemies. This is the most radical revolutionary teaching that's ever been taught in the history of the world. Uh, the next thing I want to draw our attention to, Jesus calls, he calls us to pray for our enemies. Did you catch that? Pray for those who persecute you. Now, last week we talked about fighting strategies, if you were with us. Um, if you weren't, we kind of went through the passage right before this. Jesus kind of talks about these different fighting strategies that we can use when people wrong us, Okay. <clears throat> when people have wronged you, kind of what fighting strategies do you use? Jesus says, when somebody wrongs you, don't retaliate. He uses the language of turn the other cheek. It's this idea of not retaliating. Because he says, uh, retaliation is a foolish fighting strategy. Why? Because retaliation always leads to escalation. And the next thing you know, it just gets way, way, way crazier. And last week, again, a really quick review uh, Jesus gives two fighting strategies that are actually effective. Do you remember what they were? Radical generosity and sacrificial service. Jesus goes, when somebody wrongs you, an effective fighting strategy <clears throat> is radical generosity and sacrificial service. Talks about how it's, we talked about how it's, it's, uh, when we respond those ways, it's like a refining fire, okay? And what a fire does is it reveals the impurities and when you treat someone like that, someone who wrongs you, when you treat them with that kind of grace, it's like a refining fire. It reveals those impurities even more primarily to themselves. Not, again, not as an act of retaliation, but in order that they might repent and turn away from it and see themselves clearly and go, oh, that's not how I want to live. Those two fighting strategies. Now listen, in this passage, Jesus gives us one more. He gives us one more really effective fighting strategy. All right? That's prayer. Prayer. If those previous two fighting strategies of radical generosity and sacrificial service, if those are like, um, <clears throat> if those are like going on the offense, prayer is like the defense. Uh, let me read you a quote. One, one uh, theologian says this, quote, no one can pray for others and still hate them. When we take ourselves and those whom we are tempted to hate to God, something happens. We cannot go on hating others in the presence of God. Listen to this. The surest way of killing bitterness is to pray for those we are tempted to hate. End quote. Prayer. It's another important and effective strategy, effective fighting strategy Okay, why? Because prayer, it defends us from bitterness. Um, there's all this talk about like, and I try to stay as far away from the news as I possibly can, but there's some times where I'll check different things. And I was reading recently about like the, the concern of whether or not there's gonna be nuclear war. Like is, is nuclear war gonna break out in Europe and what would happen and all these types of things. That sounds terrifying, we, we, we've seen the, the damage that, that nuclear war can cause. Here's the thing, though. When it comes to, like, these atomic bombs, these nuclear weapons, there's something that's way, way, way more devastating than the blast itself. There's something way more dangerous um, than, than the blast of a nuclear bomb. And that's the radiation that it leaves behind. The blast is devastating, don't get me wrong. But the radiation... Oh, gets up into the air, travels way farther than the blast does, does way more lasting damage. Why? Because that radiation's like poison. It's, I mean, it's literally toxic. It can kill you. Just the radiation, not the blast. Hear me. Bitterness is like poison. It's like radioactive material, okay? It's toxic for you and it's toxic for others. Hear me. Bitterness will destroy you. 
So when Jesus says pray for your enemies, it's like, it's like putting on the gas mask. It's a defense. It protects you from the, from the bitterness poisoning you to death. Um, check this out. If you have Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Oh, great. Thanks, guys. It says this. Early in the morning, as he, Jesus, was returning to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. So he rolls up to this fig tree, there's no figs. Okay? And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. At once, the fig tree withered. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed and said, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Listen to this, verse 21. Jesus answered them, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Okay, that passage really quickly, it, it gets butchered <laughs> so often as though Jesus is like writing a blank check. If you believe it and you pray for it, you will receive it. That's not what's happening here, okay? What Jesus is doing here is he's illustrating God's limitless power, okay? He, he's, he's, he's helping his disciples see that God is able to do the seemingly impossible in response to what? In response to prayer that trusts in his power and furthers his purposes, his kingdom. Why do I tell you this? Hear me. Your prayers matter. Your prayers matter. Prayer isn't just playing defense. I know that I said, let's play defense. It's also playing offense. More of God's rule and reign. More of God's kingdom. Listen, even if it seems as impossible to you as being thrown, being a mount, like a mountain being thrown into the sea, Jesus tells us that we have this opportunity in prayer to partner with him to see his will his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his way be more realized on the earth. How? Through prayer. Even the things that seem impossible, like an enemy repenting, like an enemy becoming a friend. You with me in this? Nothing's impossible. Not with God. Jesus says, when it comes to your enemies, pray, man, pray. Defend yourself from bitterness and go on the offense of praying God's kingdom to come in their life. All right, the next thing here, quickly, uh, that this passage shows us is that agape love for enemies reveals the children of God. I'm gonna say that again. Agape love for enemies reveals the children of God. Look back at verse 44 and 45. In chapter five, it says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. So that you may be children of God. Do you know what it means to be a child of God? It, it's so much more than just identifying as a Christian. So it's not like, hey, I, the census just came out and I'm filling in the box that says I identify as a Christian. Being a child of God is so much more than you personally identifying as a Christian. Okay? Listen, I identify as Mark, as Mark Logue's son. I do, but hear me, that's not what makes me his son. What makes me his son is that we share the same DNA. 
one of my favorite things about our church is that there are several of us, of you, for whom adoption is a big part of your story. And I don't know if there's anything more beautiful than that. What are you doing in adoption? You're doing something incredible. You're literally, you're sharing something deeper than just biological DNA. You're sharing spiritual DNA with a child. You're sharing your values. You're imparting your wisdom, your heart, your very soul. So so hear me. Whether biology is involved or not, the point here is this. A child is like their parent. A child is like their father in this case. In Acts chapter 4, a man by the name of Barnabas, he was one of the early church leaders, an incredibly gifted guy. God used him in powerful ways. But does anybody know what his name means? It talks about it in Acts chapter 4. Does anybody remember what Barnabas' name means? Bible trivia. Son of encouragement. What does that mean? We've talked about this a little bit before, this idea of son of or child of in the New Testament, right? So son of encouragement, it means that he's an encouraging person. If you read read son of peace in the New Testament, what is it talking about? It's a peaceful person. Okay, the the Hebrew understanding, they would use son of as, as a replacement for like they resemble this, they're like this, they're a son of this. Why? Because a father is like his son. Like father, like son. If someone's a son of God or a child of God, they are a godly person. That's what the Bible's talking about. Son of, in the Bible, means to be like or to resemble. Another quote for you from someone smarter than me says this, the reason why we must have this unconquerable benevolence and goodwill is that God has it. And if we have it, we become nothing less than children of God, God-like men and women. Friends, agape love, it reveals the children of God. Agape love for enemies reveals the children of God. It does not earn sonship. Please don't misunderstand. Agape love for enemies doesn't earn sonship. It reveals it. It reveals that God is your father. Why? Because you're like him. Like father, like son. And finally, my last point that we see in this passage. It's an intense one, but there's beauty in it. Jesus calls us to be perfect. Look back at verse 48. Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. This is the one you gotta dig with. Like you gotta dig underneath. You gotta find, to find the gold, you gotta dig underneath. Because our understanding of perfection is a Western understanding of perfection. I would argue a really unhealthy view of perfection. Let's get into it. The Greek again. Uh, perfect, that word there, translated perfect in the Greek is the word teleos. And here's what it means. It means fully developed or fully realized, okay? So a man who has reached his kind of full-grown stature is said to be teleos. A young man who's kind of like half-grown is not teleos. Again, fully developed, fully realized. Uh, William Barclay, one more time, says this, quote, the Greek idea of perfection is to be fully functional, A thing is perfect if it fully realizes the purpose for which it was planned, designed, and made. Teleos is the adjective formed from the noun telos. Telos means an end, a purpose, an aim, a goal. A thing is teleos if it achieves the purpose for which it is planned. Listen to this. Human beings are perfect if they achieve the purpose for which they were created and sent into the world, end quote. So imagine with me, um, just to kind of illustrate this, imagine with me, uh, I have some, some maintenance I need to do at the house that I live at. <clears throat> There's some loose screws that if I don't tighten them, they're gonna cause some damage, okay? So I need to get, what do I need to get to tighten up screws? 
Screwdriver. You guys are so intelligent, beautiful. A screwdriver. So guess where I go? I drive down to Harbor Freight Tools, okay? I have the coupon. I go to Harbor Freight. I use the coupon. I find this screwdriver. And it's one of those really good ones that has like the magnetic tip. You with me? Harrison gets me. The magnetic tip is everything with a screwdriver. And it's got this like perfect ergonomic handle that fits great in my hand. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy this one. So I bring this screwdriver home and I put it up to the screw and it fits perfect. So I tighten that screw down and all is well. It's, it's, it's great. In Greek and in the New Testament, the screwdriver is teleos because it exactly fulfilled the purpose for which I desired and bought it. Listen to me, the same is true for people. They will be teleos if they fulfill the purpose for which they were created, which is what? Genesis chapter one, verse 26. This is the beginning, before sin. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our what? Likeness. There it is. Listen to me. God created you and I with a purpose to be like him. To be like him. So hear me, perfect, according to the Bible, it means to fulfill your purpose of what? To become like him. Guys, that, this is like why our church exists. Our church exists to become like him, for all of us to become more like God. In the biblical word, to be perfect. To fulfill our purpose of becoming more like him. That's why we exist. We exist to grow and make disciples. A disciple is someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of life. So if that's the goal, the goal is to become like him. Why? Because it's our purpose. It's why we were created. It's the meaning of your life. More than you're called to be your vocation. More than you're called to be a parent or a child. More than you're called to any of that. Your purpose in life is to be like him. A screwdriver's purpose is to screw in the screw. Your purpose is to be like God your heavenly father, a child of God, right? The goal is to become like him. That's why like we have strategies in our church. I'm gonna kind of give you some vision right now. Strategies to accomplish the goal of becoming like him. Like if you think about it, that's like the plays that we run. If we're a sports team and our goal, right? The plays that we run, they're what? Our strategies, gospel community, Sunday worship gatherings, and socials. That's literally, that, those are our three strategies, right? Gospel community, where we're, we're practicing the ways of Jesus with each other. There's gonna be areas where we don't fully know we need to develop and we need to grow. Like, great, that's the, that's the environment with which that takes place in dramatic and amazing and powerful ways. Sunday worship gathering, it's where we come and we deliver God worship because he's worthy. We praise him because he's worthy. And our socials are areas where we not just get to enjoy each other, but we get, to, we get to practice collaborative evangelism where we intentionally pray for and engage with people in our lives that don't have a meaningful connection to God or his church. The strategies, the plays that we run, why? So that we can become more like him. Um. I have time. Will you guys throw up the Nobi do again, the slide? I think I've put this in front of you like three out of the last five weeks. <clears throat> this is our framework for becoming more like him. And so the strategies that we implement, gospel community and Sunday worship and socials, those are the plays that we run so that this gets accomplished. What you know, what you believe it affects your identity, who you are, which is the beast category, which then again empowers you to do all these things. And so oftentimes the church gets this backwards. We're like, just do the stuff. Don't, don't let anybody see in what's going on in your heart. Just do the stuff. There's no power in that. God cares about transformation, becoming more like him. You can't just love your, you can't just try to love your enemies. 
You need fuel. You need transformation. I added a couple on the bottom here. Single, singleness in marriage and then parenting on the do. Uh, how do we actually do these things? These are what we're giving ourselves to, guys. And I want you to think of this like a roadmap. Think of this like a roadmap. Not only does it show you where you're going, but it helps you understand where you are on the journey. You're gonna look at this and go like, oh, I see some strengths. I see some stuff where God's developed me in this. I feel like I'm really growing in generosity and like, cool, like that muscle's getting strengthened. I'm becoming more like Jesus in my generosity. Yes, other people are affirming that. They're seeing it, yes. But maybe the like rest piece or the prayer piece or the fasting piece or marriage piece is like, oh, these are areas that still need to be developed. This helps you see where you're going in the process of becoming more like him and where you are, whether you're eight or 80. Jesus calls us to be perfect. He calls us to be like him. In other words, to fulfill the purpose we were created for, to be like him. Again, William Barclay for the win says this quote, it is when we reproduce in our lives the unwearied, forgiving, sacrificial benevolence of God that we become like God and are therefore perfect in the New Testament sense of the word. To put it at its simplest, those men and women who care most for others are the most perfect. It is the whole teaching of the Bible that we attain our humanity only by becoming godlike. Listen to this. The one thing which makes us like God is the love which never ceases to care for others no matter what they do to it. Love for an enemy. All right, I'm gonna call the band up and I'll close us here in just a moment. We're exploring about what the kingdom of God is like. What the, what the rule and the reign of God is like. What it's like when God gets his way. His will, his desires being manifest on the earth in an environment where there's all sorts of combating wills, right? I don't want to. Hear me. If you're in Christ... That means you're, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. It means you don't have to live the way that other kingdoms, you don't have to operate the way that other kingdoms operate. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we're, we're people who are called to love our enemies because we were created to become like our heavenly father and that's what he does. Hear me. That's the love that he has for you and that's the love that he has for me. For people who oppose his will sometimes. For people who are kind of hostile to him sometimes. Dare I say for people to cause him to suffer as he watches those whom he loves and has given himself for make poor choices. Unwavering love. His love for us remains. God has an unconquerable benevolence and an invincible goodwill towards you. It's who he is. His choice, his will, is unwavering love for you, unwavering love for me, even and especially when we act as enemies. That's the gospel. So maybe this morning, maybe it would really benefit some of us to receive that love anew. Maybe for some of us for the first time. But to receive agape love from our Father in heaven who has unshakable, unwavering benevolence care, patience, love, kindness. 
Do you realize that the gospel means that no matter what you do, God always, he's stubborn. <laughs> he's stubborn. He always has, he always desires your highest and best good despite the ways that you would oppose him. Spectacular. It's the greatest news ever. It drives me to want to please him because he's so kind. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, you've heard this a thousand times. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Guess what Greek word for love is used there? Agape. We agape because he agape first. We agape other people because he agape us first. Friends, please don't misunderstand. Today's message is not like a try harder message. There's no place for that. Today's message is not like go out and love your enemies because God tells us to. Listen to me. Receiving that agape, receiving that agape love is what empowers you to agape love those around you, even and especially your enemies. And hear me, as you do that, you live out the very thing you were created for. You live out your purpose. You live perfect. To be like your heavenly father, like father, like son. I was praying for us this morning and I really felt like this sense of like, some of us just need to hit the reset button. Like we need to drink deeply from the grace of God. We need to like reset. We need to like, man, we need to like get back on course. It's like I showed the no be do, and that's kind of like a roadmap where it's like we've noticed, like we've drifted. And, and listen, I'm not here to condemn you. I drift all the time. I'm a sinner just like anybody else in the room. I'm here to reinforce the gospel. I'm here to reinforce the love of God says, come back, come home. Come home, my child. For some of us, we need to this morning. We need to hit that reset button. So here's, here's what we're gonna do. As an act of faith, what faith is. Faith is an action. Faith is an act of trust. So it's an act of faith. We're going to fill this room with prayer for our enemies. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember what an enemy is. Okay? An enemy is anyone who is hostile to you, who opposes you and thus causes you to emotionally and or physically suffer. Another, another helpful identifier of an enemy is anyone for whom you recognize or feel tempted to be bitter towards. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna just take a moment and, and I wanna invite you to identify who in your life, like identify an enemy in your life currently. Maybe it is, uh, maybe it's somebody close right now. And for some of you, you might be like, I don't really have any enemies. Like, you might have to go back pretty far. But listen, somebody's wronged you. And if you're still like, nah, man, like I don't have an enemy, pray for your least favorite politician, okay? They don't even have to be American. <laughs> as an act of faith, as, as children being like their father, we're gonna take a moment and each one of us silently are gonna pray. We're gonna identify an enemy and we're gonna pray God bless them. God bless them. God, reveal yourself to them. God, transform their life for good. Reveal yourself to them. Provide for them. And maybe you're in a spot where you're like, I don't want to do that. I hear you. There's a reason why this is the most revolutionary, radical teaching in the world. If you're in that space, God, help me. God, how would you have me to pray? How would you have me to pray for this person? 
Guys, I want to be real. Like, this was a challenging message for me. Because there's a handful, not a handful, there's like two or three people that I instantly got confronted with in my heart and mind. These are people that are enemies to me. Most of them are Christians. Slandering me, saying all these things that are untrue about me, like literally lies, opposing me, causing emotional suffering. And I'm reading this going, I don't want to, pr- I don't want to pray for these people. God, save them. And all the while, God's going, dude, that radiation's toxic, my boy. That bitterness is toxic. It's going to poison you. And not only that, but I created you to be like me. You're my son. There's people right now, I'm like, I need to pray. I'm going to do this with you. So here's what I want to do. I want it for like the next few moments. Quiet, let's honor each other. Pray blessing. Pray for your enemies, for those who persecute you, for those who cause harm, for those who have caused you to suffer emotionally or physically. Go on, like defend by guarding your heart against bitterness and go on the offense. God, bring your kingdom. In the same way you loved me when I behaved like an enemy, love them. I wanna be like you, Jesus. Let's do that together right now. thank you that you've never treated me like an enemy even though I've so often behaved like one thank you that you have this unwavering stubborn love for your children make us like you this isn't a game it's so easy to get distracted in life from what's real like reality teach us more about your kingdom, your eternal kingdom, your rule and your reign and how you desire to bring it into our heart, into our mind, into our body, into our soul and through us into the world. Thank you for your grace that offers us second chance, third chance, millionth chance, time after time. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit so that we can agape love the way that you do. And I pray that as we do that, literal transformation would take place, both inside us and all around us. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that it really is such great news. Thank you for your forgiveness and mercy that transforms us. Thank you that we get to be free. Show us the way. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, friends, if you would, would you stand with me if you're able? Um, If you're on the ministry team this morning, would you maybe make your way to the side for the next, uh, man, the next 15 minutes or so? 
this is a time for you uh, to collectively, for us, to respond to God's goodness, his grace, his love. We're gonna offer him praise from a pure, beautiful place. Um, there's trusted men and women off to the side. If you'd like ministry for any reason, they'd love to pray over you. Maybe there's struggle going on in your heart in regards to this like, I don't know about loving my enemies thing. Inviting God into that space, no doubt will be a benefit to you this morning. Um, maybe you're just tender. Maybe you need a, 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 a healing touch. Go receive prayer. The band's gonna lead us in time of praise. And then Herrick will close us in just a bit, okay? Love you guys very much. Thank you, Father, that while we were still helpless, at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. For though one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might dare to die. But God shows his own love for us in this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more having been justified by his blood, being welcomed into his family, loved, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only this, but we also glory in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that he was willing to lay on his life for us. Thank you that because he lives, we live. And because he died, we also died to sin. Thank you that our whole life is lived in him. Not on our own, not on our own strength, not based on what we can do or what we can figure out, but through him. Thank you. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to close this out. All right. This is not the easiest message to close out because there's so much good stuff. I also had half a dozen people come to me with things. I think God's doing stuff in the room and he's moving. Now, with that said, um, I was thinking pretty much the whole message uh, about one person, one incredible human being who did the impossible, Shohei Otani, baseball star who pitched and hit at elite levels at the same time. Un incredible. When Tom talked about perfection, he said that perfection, biblically speaking, is realizing your purpose. And I realized that the reason why a, a grown man like me can be brought to tears through another grown man playing a child's game is because he realized his purpose that I couldn't, that I wasn't able to as a kid playing baseball. It would have killed to do what he does. Why am I talking about Shohei Otani? Obviously, the Angel season ended a while ago. Um, it's because he's a prototype. He's a prototype. He shows what's possible. And Jesus shows us what is possible. Shows us what's possible when one person, just one person, in the history of humanity, when one person is totally submitted to the will of God, he shows us this is what's possible. When one person says, I want to do just what God wants me to do, the entire course of human history changed. And I'm bringing this up because I have a feeling that there's people in the room who you might be stuck or you might, you might be in a situation where you feel stuck. Maybe even in a situation like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep doing the same thing? Or why do others keep doing the same thing? And there's like a sense of being stuck. And there's a sense maybe where you're asking through prayer, but you're not seeing change or you can't see how things will change. It's like you're stuck in your own patterns or you're seeing how other people's patterns have got you stuck potentially. And it's just hard to see the path forward. And I wrote this down. Just because you can't see the path doesn't mean it's not there for you to change. You can change. You can change. You can realize your purpose as a human through Jesus. It's not on your own. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it the way that you've always done. You can't do things the way you've always done them and expect to realize your potential. Shohei Otani, I don't have time. We're almost out of time. I could preach a whole message on this. Shohei Otani went through so many ups and downs. By the way, if you don't know who Shohei Otani is, he's a guy who pitches and hits, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's an incredibly big deal. It's happened once in 150 years. Somebody's done it successfully. 
both at the same time. He overcame so much. He actually overcame near failure multiple times. At one point, they were ready to plug the, pull the plug on, on this experiment of pitching and hitting at the same time. But he overcame. There was a deep belief like, I was put on this earth to do this. And he, he overcame. And I'm just letting you know that you were placed into this family to do this, to lo- for enemy love, to love people, to agape love people who you may not even like. And this is true for me too. You can change. So here's what I'm saying. If you, one of the things that Tom talked about today was prayer. If you're in a spot where you feel stuck and you don't know the path forward, could I just invite you to pray? Like invite you to a life of dependence. Just because you can't see the way through it doesn't mean there isn't a way through it. He knows what it is. And he's going to summon you and and call you to actually follow him and walk with him. So if that resonates with you, or if you just feel like after this message, this is really hard and I don't know what to do, please go get prayer. We've got men and women who would love to pray for you. The love of God is, we love because he first loved us. And some of you may just need a fresh experience of his love, but it's not gonna come until you say it. (laughs) I feel unloved. I feel unlovable. Even in this room, I don't feel seen or loved or valued. You can own it and he can meet you right there in it. So if you need prayer for absolutely anything, you're stuck, you don't believe you can change, you can't see the way through this, there's really hard relationships and brokenness in your life that you don't think that can ever be overcome, go get prayer. Or if you just need help of any kind, go get prayer, including, in, including potentially even physical healing. We had some stuff that came up potentially for um, people to receive prayer for healing of any kind in your body please go get prayer. With that said, I'm going to close this out. This is called a soft close. It's 1259. If you have kids in kids ministry, please go grab them to relieve our volunteers. Uh, If you would like to stick around to get prayer or chat, we would love to help you as you navigate what it looks like to live a life of agape love in light of his love for you. So go get prayer. Go get your kids. Go get some lunch. Enjoy your Sunday.